today we are continuing in this series titled Mastermind, where we're change your thinking, change your life. And in this series, we're specifically looking into the mind and the teaching of a guy who went by the name of Paul. Paul, who was at one point on the front lines trying to do everything that he could to eviscerate Christianity from the face of the earth, making sure that Christianity didn't outlive him. And I'm telling you, he was a type A personality. He was getting it done. He was going around arresting and persecuting and murdering Christians. But then through an event that only God could have possibly orchestrated, his life pulls a complete 180. And now he's on the front line spreading the name of Jesus with more urgency, with more zeal than arguably anyone who has walked the face of the earth. And and what we see in the life of Paul, and chances are you've probably seen in your own life, is that there is oftentimes a war going on in our minds. In, In fact, most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Well, what comes into your mind comes out in your life. We see this for better or for worse, or we could say it this way. Your life is always, always, always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so the question that I would pose to you is, are you excited about the direction that your thoughts are taking you? And here's what's so important about this. This isn't just a Christian thing. This is an everybody thing. This is an every person on the face of the earth thing, which is probably why Paul said, and this is really the primary passage of scripture that we've been diving into throughout this series. There's actually a letter that Paul wrote to the early Christian church in Corinth, and hence its title, Corinthians. He says, for though we live in the world, We don't wage war as the world does. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The the, the resources of heaven are are waiting at your disposal to be used to demolish those lies. What, What is that lie that the enemy has been feeding you to keep you from living the life that God so desperately wants for you? So instead, we demolish arguments in every pretension, every lie that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive We we capture every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We say, I am going to refuse to continue to believe that. I'm going to change course. I'm going to choose a new thought, even if I don't totally believe it yet, because I'm going to buy into the truth that God so desperately wants for me. If you've been with us in previous weeks, uh, we kind of got a little nerdy on you. We talked about the the fact that every single time you think a thought, your brain is literally creating a neural pathway. And the more that you think the same thought over and over and over again, the easier it is for you to travel down that path again. It ends up, in fact, becoming the default thought. We see this for better with the positive thoughts that run in our minds, and we see this in the negative, in in the worst sense, which is probably why Paul says you have to capture those negative thoughts. You have to take captive those lies, those strongholds, and you have to choose a new thought. You have to choose a new pathway. For for us Jesus followers, we, we choose a truth that comes from our heavenly Father, Last week, uh, during Jason's message, we were given an incredible, incredible resource 
Uh, if, if you've been having any trouble at all coming up with, with the truths that defeat those lies, that defeat those strongholds, uh, I hope you've at least visited grumlaw.com mastermind. If you haven't gone there yet, please do so. It, it's such a practical, helpful tool that shows some of the most common lies that we tend to feed ourselves and, and the, the truths that come in, swoop in from our Father that defeat those lies. Also, it's worth noting that if you haven't been here of late, uh, or if you're new around here, we're so glad you decided to come walking through our doors, but today in this series, we're entering into part three of four, so we've kind of officially crossed the halfway point. Uh, so if you've missed either part one or part two of this series, I'd really encourage you to go to grumlaw.com messages and catch yourself up there. Listen to the messages there. If you're more of a visual learner, you can watch them, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever you grab your podcasts. Now, I say this almost every single week, but I'm really encouraging you to do this because this series, probably more than any series we've ever done, I've gotten more emails, more phone calls, more texts, more people pulling me aside after service saying, this is exactly what I needed to hear. This is so relevant to my life. My spouse needed to hear this. My kids needed to hear this. And so again, if you haven't been here for this entire series, it's like you're jumping into a movie halfway through, so make sure you go online and you catch yourself up there. But today, as we move on to part three of this series, I want to introduce another idea that is commonly referred to as cognitive bias. Or, or we could refer to it as men, a mental filter or a mental framework. Uh, a cognitive bias could be defined as this, a mistake in reasoning based on personal preferences or beliefs. So, see, what happens is our, our wrong thought processes, our, our incorrect beliefs cause us to make mistakes or errors in judgment. Now, speaking of errors in judgment, does anybody remember these bad boys? Now, these glasses, as you'll see right here, they, they got popular about 10 years ago because this dude right here, Kanye West, a pretty influential human being, decided to release this album titled Graduation, and in a number of the music videos and a lot of his live performances you can see here, he started wearing these things around. Now, what's crazy about this is perfectly sane, rational people decided to go out because he is like that influential, buy these glasses and wear them around. I'm not kidding. Like When this was popular, I saw people driving with these on. Now, I would love to like really make fun of these people. I'm one of them. I didn't go buy these for the sake of the talk. I texted my wife and said, will you go look out in my desk drawer in my office and see if those are still there? Yep, you better believe they were there. At some point, I don't remember the context of why, but in college, I went out and bought these and just being vulnerable, I don't think it was a joke. Like, I, I think I bought them because I, I thought they were like actually cool. Now, as it turns out, when there are white lines directly in your line of vision, it is less than ideal for your eyesight. You start running into things. For me, if I wear them long enough, I start to feel nauseous. It throws off your depth perception, but, but here's the great part about this. You can solve all of those issues by voila, just removing them from your face. So see, when we put on these different filters, when we put on these different frames, it colors, it, it distorts how you see the world. Well, what is in front of you is not what is actually reality, or, or it becomes a distorted version of reality. We have the wrong mental framework, we have the wrong mental filter. It, it distorts how we see the world around us. We ebbed up with, here's our word, a cognitive bias, making wrong decisions based on wrong assumptions. That this is why, and we've all experienced this, different people respond in different ways to the exact same situation. The facts aren't changing. No, no, it's the filter, it's the frame that is different. 
That's why two parents, and there's a lot of teachers that are sitting here, so this will resonate with you. That why two parents can walk into a parent-teacher conference with that teacher standing in front of them, and they would present the exact same facts to both parents. Again, right, they're both sitting in the exact same meeting, and one parent could receive it one way, and the other parent could receive it another way. So let's say their child is a little bit of a troublemaker, and kind of the class clown, and is causing a lot of problems, and so again, the teacher in a loving way presents that information, and let's say the mom walks out into the lobby, and she goes, okay, we got some work to do. Like, like, okay, we don't want our kid being like the terror on the classroom. Like, we are going to adjust some things in our parenting to make this better. And the dad could be standing there going, what is wrong with that woman? How dare she tell me how to parent my kid? My kid is an angel. He has never done anything wrong. I have half a mind to walk back in that room and punch that lady in the nose. Same exact filter. I mean, same exact facts, but a different filter. We, we see this every single week at Grumlaw. You could have two people come in and they have completely different filters. One person comes up begrudgingly. They were forced to show up. A mom, a dad, a boyfriend, a fiance, a spouse said, hey, you're going to church and you walked in here and from the moment that you walked in, some of you are sitting here right now, everything was pessimistic. That There was a negative filter on everything. I don't like the music. It was too loud. This guy's annoying. That video with Jaden Smith was like the least funny thing I've ever seen in my life. Church isn't supposed to be fun. When are we gonna start singing hymns? If you walk walk in with that type of filter, it is very unlikely that you are going to have a positive experience. Meanwhile, another person walks in and there's this eager anticipation for everything. There's been this friend that's been inviting you and you're excited to be here. You finally worked up the courage to walk through the doors and you walk out and you absolutely love it. The presentation didn't change from one person to the next. It was the filter that you came in with. This even impacts our relationship with God. Study after study after study has shown that your relationship with your earthly father has a dramatic effect on how you view your heavenly father. So if your dad is loving and kind and compassionate, it's really easy for you to see your heavenly father that way. But that doesn't describe every father in every situation in this room. Some of you, your father was abusive. He he was absent. He wasn't a good dad. And it's so easy to then reflect that on our heavenly father. God isn't changing from person to person. The only thing that changes from one individual to the next is our filter. And it's with all of that in mind that today I want to talk about reframing. It's creating a different way of looking at a situation, a person, or a relationship by changing its meaning. It's like the little kid that that wakes up one day, this little boy, and he tells himself, I am the greatest hitter of all time. When it comes to baseball, there has never been a greater hitter than I. I am the greatest hitter who has ever lived, and it's with that mentality that he marches out into the backyard. He picks up a bat with one hand. He picks up the ball with another hand, and he throws into the air, and he lines it up, and he swings And he misses. And he's like, it's okay, it doesn't matter. I'm still the greatest hitter of all time because everybody misses a pitch here and then. And then he picks up the ball a second time. He throws it into the air. He swings and he misses again. He says, it's okay. There have been plenty of great hitters that have been down 0-2 in the count and then they still emerge victorious. And so he picks up the ball a third time. He throws it into the air and he really winds up this time and he misses again. And he goes, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I am the greatest pitcher of all time. Because I just struck out the greatest hitter of all time. It's reframing the situation, changing the way that we look at something by altering how we interpret it. 
It's technically referred to as perceptual accentuation or, or cognitive restructuring. Or all you laymen like me, you normal people, we call it thinking different. For instance, today even, what, what kind of a day are you having? Is it a good day? Is it a great day? Is it a terrible day? Is it the worst day? Is it an average day, an okay day? I, I want to propose to you that it all depends on how you frame it, that the facts are not different. It's the filter. It's the frame. So if you begin your day, let's say over here, today's going to be a terrible day. Everybody's against me. My days always go terrible. I haven't had a good day in so long. Everything around me is stacked up against me. Woe is me. My life is terrible. You are going to end up having a terrible day. Whereas if you shift it over here and you say, today's going to be a good day. Because my God is for me. He goes ahead of me. My God has my best interest in mind. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You are going to end up having a good day. What kind of a day you have depends on how and where you frame it. You cannot control. You can't control what happens to you. There is so much that happens in a given day that is completely outside of your control, but you can control how you frame it. Paul, whom we've been speaking about throughout this series, he he was a master of how he framed his thinking, how he framed his life. One of his desires, in fact, was that eventually someday he would be led to Rome. We'd be able to go there and and freely preach the good news, freely tell people uh, about Jesus because Rome back at this point in history was arguably the most influential city in the entire world. And he figured, okay, if I can get in front of some of these really influential people in this really influential city, think about the impact that that could have for Jesus. Think about how that could spread the name of Jesus all around the world if I could just eventually get to Rome. And when you know it, God does eventually allow Paul to go to Rome, but rather than freely roaming the streets and talking about Jesus wherever he pleased, he actually found himself in in prison, in prison because of his belief in Jesus. It, It wasn't exactly the dream that he had in mind. Yeah, he was in Rome, but it wasn't really the version of Rome that he had anticipated. So so many of you who are sitting here today, you're in situations that weren't really a part of your dream. You aren't in the career that you had anticipated in college. You don't have four kids. You don't even have one kid. Your marriage isn't going particularly well. You're still in debt. Like Paul, you cannot, you cannot always control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. I want to show us some of the words of Paul after he found himself in Rome, but not quite the version of his dream that he had anticipated. He says this, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has absolutely sucked. Because of everything I've been through, I'm turning from God and I'm never going back to church. Even those of you that are new to church, you're like, I, I don't feel like that's probably what it says there. I made that up. Uh, Paul could have very easily decided to frame it this way. And come on, most of us, given these exact same circumstances in a dark, dingy, nasty prison, not not the version of the dream that you would anticipate, this is how we would have reacted. Paul was for 24 hours a day chained to, to, to a Roman guard. Every eight hours, a new guard would come in and then he'd be chained to that guard for eight hours at a time. Rats going around, not very good food, not the best of circumstances. But given that, here's what Paul actually said. I promise this one is not made up. This is really what he said. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, 
that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. So this, this is actually a good thing. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. See, we can go back to our frame illustration here. It would be very easy for him to go over here and say, this is my life, this is so terrible, I'm in prison. God, how would you allow this to happen to me after all I've done for you? I'm abandoning the church, I'm not going around and telling anyone about you anymore. Woe is me, my life is terrible. But instead, he chose to reframe it. He said, no, this isn't the version that I had dreamt up. But this is actually a, a good thing. Because here I am, little did I know, I am literally chained to some of the most influential people in the entire city, the the Roman guard, people that that, that are highly looked up to. I mean, those people, eight hours a day, you talk about a captive audience who's really in prison in this situation. They have to listen to me. This is a good thing for the name of Jesus. I'm being able to spread Jesus' name better than if I was out there freely roaming the streets because there's no chance I would have had access to these people. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. He, He continues on and says, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Not only is God using my imprisonment to spread his message to some of the most influential people in Rome, he's also using my circumstances, which most people would agree are absolutely terrible, to embolden Jesus' followers all throughout the Mediterranean world. Because of how I am not allowing my circumstances to beat me down, because of what is happening through my life, other Jesus followers who used to be timid, who used to hide in fear, now have this courage to go out and spread the name of Jesus. Now, this is all good enough for Paul, who was living thousands of years ago, but here's how we can live this out in the 21st century here in America when it's so easy for our thoughts to drift towards the critical, the negative, the discouraging, the self-defeating. The first thing I wrote down is, is thank God for what didn't happen. Even in the midst of a day where, where apparently not one thing is going right in your life, as we all know, it could always get worse. Well, why do we not in those situations thank God for not allowing that other stu- stuff to happen? I heard a story recently about a high school girl who, who came home from school and she walked in the door, mom and dad are in the kitchen, she says, mom, dad, I... I need to talk to you guys, so can we go sit down? And any parent that hears those words, you're like, crud, okay, like, where is this going? And so she sits them down at the dining room table. She's sitting across from them, and she's like, okay, I I just want you to listen to me. Please don't, like, interject. Like, I'm just going to share this with you, and then you can kind of give me your feedback. But um, I met a guy. Already dad's, like, sweating, you know. He's like, okay, so I met a guy, uh, and we started to kind of get engaged physically in a way that we shouldn't have. And I know this is going to sound absolutely insane, but I'm pregnant. And I, 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 I've known that I've been pregnant actually for, for a while. And not only am I pregnant, I, I'm pregnant with twins. And before you like totally lose your mind, um, here's the good part. That this guy, like he's committed to being a part of my life, committed to being a part of these children's life. Like as soon as he gets out of rehab, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. Like as soon as he gets out of rehab, like he's, he's, gonna, he's gonna just be involved in these kids' lives. It'll be a good thing. And oh yeah, one more thing, mom and dad. None of that is actually true. However, I did get a D on my chemistry exam. I just wanted to remind you that it could be a whole lot worse. (laughs) 
So I understand as you're sitting in the airport and you're cursing everything that is holy and everything that is airport travel that your flight has been delayed because your plane had mechanical issues, but maybe you should thank God in those circumstances that you're not experiencing those mechanical issues at 35,000 feet. I, I know it seems terrible that your teenage daughter got into another fender bender and you keep opting for the $1,000 deductible. It's maybe time to bump it down to the 251. It's like, this is terrible, but at least nobody was hurt. This past summer, uh, my wife and I, we had a couple over to our house for dinner, and they had a couple of young children as well. And after we got done with dinner, um, they, they, they asked if the kids could go like out into the living room and jack around. We're like, heck yeah, get out of here. You're ruining all conversation anyway. And so they're like having a good time in the living room. We're sitting at the dining room table. And then all of a sudden, we hear like just this, this thud. And then my son's voice just like screaming. And, and you know parents, like you know your kids scream. And so we go ripping around the corner and there's blood everywhere. It's on the carpet, it's all over his shirt and it's all over like one side of the face and it's bleeding so much that we have no idea what actually happened because the blood's just kind of covering everything up and so we quickly, you know, kind of put paper towel and then gauze over his eye and we just kind of like tape it and he's hysterical, not really letting us do this and so I rush him to the emergency room and you fast forward about an hour later and everything's fine. He has a couple of stitches and, you know, he's sitting there actually smiling and stuff. I actually have a picture of him from that night. Uh, this was on the way home. It was like 10 o'clock at night. He had just endured probably the worst night of his life. And so, uh, you know, with his four or five stitches, I don't remember how many it was, we went to McDonald's and ate some ice cream in the back of the car. And uh, it was kind of traumatizing for me. But in that moment, uh, I just remember thanking God. I'm serious. I'm like, thank you, God, that it wasn't worse. Like, thank you that there was no damage to his eye. Thank you it wasn't even more stitches. Thank you, honestly, God, that he's two years old, that he's not going to remember that horrible episode when four adults were pinning him down while he was getting stitches. Again, ruined my life, but good for him, right? (laughs) Thank God for the things that didn't happen. And any of you parents, you can relate to this, that this is such a practical way to look at this. As often, if your kids are anything like mine, as often as they get hurt, It's honestly unbelievable they do not get hurt even more often. My son should be on pace for like one catastrophic limb-losing injury every single week. I have these like weekly, if not daily moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, that could have been a complete disaster. I know that this has the ability to sound a little bit self-helpy, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. Thank God for what didn't happen. Number two, uh, practice pre-framing. Our thoughts, our frames shape what we experience and in turn what we do. So, So let's begin to practice choosing the frame before the event, before the situation, before the day. Uh, Any of you sports fans, you're probably familiar with this team. The Buffalo Bills, back in the early 90s, from 1991 to 1994, they made it to four straight Super Bowls. No no other football team has ever done that before, but here's kind of the footnote on all that. They made it to four straight Super Bowls, but they lost four straight Super Bowls. They're kind of known as like the biggest losers in in the history of sports. Uh, I recently watched a documentary on this team. And what was so fascinating to me was after that first Super Bowl, which they actually had a chance to win in a lot of ways they should have won. I mean, there was this last, you know, time ticking off expiring field goal that was kicked. And had that ball been like two feet to the left, they would have won that Super Bowl. And we're probably remembering the Buffalo Bills in an entirely different light. But instead, he misses the Super Bowl. And there's this attitude among the team like, we'll go get it next year. And when you know it, they make it back in year two. And then a third year and a fourth year. And what I was struck by as I was watching this documentary, especially heading into years three and four, was the self-defeating body language of this team as they were walking into those games. 
Like, like, like this attitude that they had no hope. In fact, even in the interviews that they were uh, showing in this documentary, like they, they talked about just the cloud that was over them. They, they talked about just the, like all this pressure was on them that we can't possibly lose again, right? That they saw themselves as losers before the game even started. And, and any of you that have ever competed really in any form of competition, you know how much this matters. Well, what you believe determines how you behave. And before that game, that competition, that event, you're telling yourself that you're a loser. It is very unlikely that you are going to win. But, but come on, th- this is not just a sport theory. We see this literally in every case of life, but before you head into that presentation at work, I'm telling you, backstage every week before I walk onto this stage, if I'm back there going, you're going to be terrible, you're going to mess this up, you're going to forget everything, I would walk out on this stage and be a disaster. For, for you moms, for you parents out there, if you're telling yourself before your first child wakes up, your only child wakes up, today's going to be a terrible day, they're going to be kicking each other the whole day, it's going to go awful, they're not going to nap, this is going to be the longest day of my life, you better believe you're going to end up having a pretty rotten day. No, no, I am choosing to win ahead of time because I, because I know that what I believe determines how I behave. Before you head into any situation, remind yourself of truth, that God is with you that God is good, that God does go before you, that through him all things are possible. And then number three, look for God's goodness. Look for God's goodness. Here's what I can guarantee every single person in this room of, whether you're young, you're old, you're black, you're white, you're Christian, you're skeptic, you're male, you're female. If you wanna see bad, if you want to find bad, you will find no shortage of bad. If you are negative, if you're constantly looking at the world through this lens of, of the glasses half empty, you will find no shortage of negative. If you constantly have this critical filter and you walk into a room and you criticize every person, you criticize every situation, you will find no shortage of ways that you could have done it better. And so you can choose that path that 99% of the world chooses to take that's full of negativity, criticism, and woe is me, the world's against me, or, or you can choose to look for where God is working. And if you do, you will see his handiwork all over the place. If you want to look for positive, if you want to look for good, You'll see the positive. You will see the good all around you. If, if you are dead set on finding opportunities, you will see those possibilities all around you. This is cognitive reframing. Interpreting your circumstances based on God's truth to you rather, rather than Satan's lies about you. Every single one of you, Christian or not, you find what you're looking for. Yeah, you ever wonder why? And actually, I can guarantee you probably never have wondered why. This is one of the weirdest questions you'll ever get. You ever wonder why a vulture finds dead carcasses? <laughs> it's not a trick question. It's because that is what a vulture is looking for. Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you, you ever wonder why a hummingbird always finds that sweet, sweet nectar? It's the same answer. It's because that's exactly what a hummingbird is looking for. And church, friends, you are no different. 
you find what you're looking for. And so my invitation, my challenge to you would be to look for God's goodness. Because if you start framing the world like that, you will see it all around you. I've been pretty open uh, throughout this process of my my wife and I are in this adoption and foster care process. And uh, throughout this, I've had this opportunity to look at it through this frame of just sheer frustration and negativity and criticism where I'm like so mad at the system, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean. And I'm like, I can't believe they don't do anything digital. Like, how are we still filling out like reams of paperwork? I suppose somebody's got to keep staples in business. You know, it's like this critical nature. I can't believe how long it's taken. It's been like over a year at this point. It's just like the whole time, like I've been tempted to look at it through this frame of just like, I- I'm so frustrated with it. But, but here's what I keep latching on to. God's goodness, because I know in the not so distant future, there's going to be a child or children that are a part of our family. And as I play with those kids in the living room, and as we eat dinner together as a family, as we drive places together as a family, and I look at those kids in the rear view mirror, there's going to be no part of me anymore that is frustrated with the system. Because I know that if God would have operated any faster or any slower, those children would not have been a part of our family. Come on, we all know this. We see the bad because we choose to see the bad. And in my life, and I would encourage you to do the same, I will choose to see God's goodness because it is there if we would just change our filter, if we would just change our frame. Rather than interpreting God through our circumstances, which is, by the way, what 99% of the world chooses to do. Interpret our circumstances through God's goodness. Then you begin to recognize that even on your worst of days, your God is still good, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it.